6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 52 through 55. Now this one, we can, from the psalm as we get into it, we can pretty well, we think, establish a probable historical context that caused David to pen this particular psalm. Absalom, as we have mentioned many times in our previous sessions, David's own son led a rebellion against him and drew quite a crowd. David was quite upset because it's his own son. He actually left Jerusalem because he didn't want to damage the city. It, was that, it wasn't just a little uprising. Absalom had quite a following uh, being organized uh, with him. And uh, so David was forced to flee Jerusalem. He found there was large crowds following Absalom and knew there was going to be big trouble. And he didn't want his beloved city to be injured. So he physically left and went hid in the caves. And uh, so, uh, just, so it's almost a throwback to the days of Saul, when those, those 11 years, whatever, that he was uh, fleeing Saul in the, as, a, as, as a refugee, in effect. So David, left, having left his city, get the picture now, weeping over the whole situation. Here it is, his own son against it and, and leaving his beloved city. He gets word from his loyal, some of his loyal following, word bring, bring word to him that Ahithophel, who was a member of his own cabinet and ostensibly a close friend, had gone over to Absalom's side and had betrayed David. He, Ahithophel becomes Absalom's primary counselor. Can you imagine how David felt to have someone he trusted, a member of his inner staff, if you will, turn against him? David thought everything was great, and this guy turns out to be a traitor, goes to join David's son. Get the picture here. You need to get that feeling to understand what's going to be coming here. Let's take a look at 2 Samuel 15 for a little background. David went up by the ascent of the Mount Olivet, and wept as he went up and had his head covered, and he went barefoot. And all the people who's with him covered every man his head, and they went up weeping as they went up. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Ahithophel was a wise counselor. He knew all the ins and outs. He knew all the secrets. And he's going to be counseling Absalom. David prays, O Lord, Turn his counsel to foolishness. And that's exactly what God did, by the way. That's ultimately what happens. So let's take a look at this. To the chief musician on the Nicanoth, a mashal again, Psalm of David. This whole four, group of four are mashals. That's why they're clustered, and that's why in, as a group they seem to profile the, the dispensational perspective. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. 
This is called the squeaking wheel strategy, okay? If the squeaking wheel gets the grease, right? David continues, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. David did not know, but that he might be slain at any moment, especially when those that were so close to him and now had deserted him. Can you imagine the insecurity? Can you imagine the, the, the fear in his gut? My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and the horror hath overwhelmed me. This is David turning to God under this extreme anxiety. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. You know, I don't know if you have ever experienced serious betrayal. I don't mean just some gossip or rumors. That's a form of betrayal, of course. No, I mean a really serious backstabbing, a serious confidant you discover has turned against you. Unless you've had it, you probably have no way to feel how, 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 understand how David felt. Now, Ahithophel, it should remind us of another betrayal, God by the name of Judas. In fact, Jesus, when Judas betrays him, says, a friend has lifted up his heel against me, that he quotes Psalm 49, which is a psalm about Ahithophel. Jesus himself links the historical issue of Ahithophel, idiomatically, to what Judas was doing to Christ, to betraying him. You with me? And so, so it's possible too then, I'm going to suggest, just as a, as, a, as a conjecture, maybe Ahithophel also in some way may be a foreshadowing of another betrayal where the Antichrist betrays the nation Israel because he signs a seven-year treaty but then violates it in the middle when he sets himself up. So let's keep open to that possibility. Oh, that wings of a dove for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues. For I have seen violence and strife in the city. This is more than an individual thing. It's a bigger thing. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. So the result of this betrayal is civil unrest. It isn't a personal backstab. It's much, much bigger than that, much bigger implications. And here is some interesting passages. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. See, the pain is because it was an inside confidant situation here. 
talks about some relationships that might be useful here. When we talk about Bathsheba in the previous session, she was the daughter of Eliam, right? And uh, she married a guy by the name Uriah, right? David comes along and kills Uriah, right? David's son Absalom turns against David in a rebellion, right? He gets helped by David's confidant Ahithophel. There's a little piece of information you've got to dig out to make this all make sense. You need to understand who Ahithophel was. Ahithophel was Eliam's father. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And I surmise, I don't know this, I surmise that deep down inside, he never forgave David for compromising his granddaughter and killing his grandson. So that may be part of the dynamic behind the scenes here. Little historical item that, uh, okay. So at this point, David gets um, imprecatory in his psalm. Let death seize upon them. And what he, what he really is saying here, let them go down to Sheol. Let them, in English, let them go to hell. Let them go down quick into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Indeed. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If you really want to get to someone, you know how you do that? Let the Lord handle it. He will fix it better than you can imagine. Trust him. Trust him. When you're really upset with him, that's, that's, I think every day God finds a new way to ask you a question, do you trust me? And when you've really been wronged by somebody, leave it to the Lord. Leave it to the Lord. Uh, there's a commercial advertisement. It's a quote from some ancient source, but I forget where it is from. But they use it in advertising sometimes. That I, I, I really love the, I love the line. Living well is the best revenge. Just moving on and living well is the best way to, you know, set those things. But biblically, leave it to the Lord. Let the Lord deal with it. Evening and morning at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old. And then we have a welcome sailor. In fact, it's the only place I know it's in the middle of a verse, by the way. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. Really? He hath broken his covenant. See, I don't know what was involved in Ahithophel's betrayal. He obviously went and advised Absalom. That was the big part of it. But whether Ahithophel violated a covenant of some kind or if that is just a prophetic embellishment here to make fit the situation because the Antichrist is, is, uh, makes a critical treaty with Israel to Apparently, we infer from Daniel 9.27, the substance of it is to allow them to 
have a right to the land and to reestablish their temple and to reestablish the temple operations. And that covenant was for seven years. By the time you get three and a half years into that, by then apparently he's powerful enough to ignore that, declare it null and void and put himself up to be worshipped and that starts the, the tribulation, which is not seven years, it's three and a half. It's the last half of that seven-year period. See, the Antichrist is a liar. Remember, Lord Jesus Christ said that the devil was a liar from the beginning. That's in John 8, verse 44. And that the Antichrist is out of the pit of hell. Where does the Antichrist first, first show up? It's not in Revelation 13. It's in Revelation 11. He comes out of the abuso in some sense. He is out, literally out of the pit of hell. So as, as David shifts into an imprecatory form here, that bothers a lot of New Testament readers, but still uh, we're dealing with it. And uh, he hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. And Daniel tells us the Antichrist will by peace destroy many. He's not a warrior. He's a peacemaker. He becomes very militarily powerful before Armageddon finally takes place and all that. But um, such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. He's a covenant breaker, specifically. And that's an identifier of the, the Antichrist. We're getting little bits and glimpse, glimpses here from the Psalms you won't find anywhere else. So it's a very you know, interesting passage here. David continues, The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Man, what a comfort that is. You take God seriously, you can relax. You cast thy burden upon the Lord, he shall sustain thee. That's his commitment. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. There are elements of this psalm that are just devotional. There are elements of this psalm that I believe are eschatological or prophetic. There are elements of these psalms that are day-to-day -day practical. And what you need to do is just immerse yourself in it, read it over 20 or 30 times, and it will come to be part of your very being. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. That's an interesting phrase. Hadn't hit me until just now. Shall not live out half their days. You know, it's interesting that Antichrist signs a treaty for one week, the 70th week of Daniel, a week of years. In the middle of that week, he violates that. The Great Tribulation is the period from then to Armageddon, the end of that week, at half of the days. And they shall not live out half their days. I think that's kind of interesting. But I will trust in thee, the psalmist says. Well, a couple of questions. What about you and me today? We've talked about Ahithophel and David and his problems. What about you and me? Are we being betrayed by somebody? Probably. Huh? I've done a study. Uh, uh, I won't recount the whole thing here to derail this study, but I often ask a class in our institute, what's the most painful sin? And I, my answer is Gossip. More people are hurt by gossip than any other sin. 
And just quietly, it does its work in unseen form. And once the toothpaste out of the tube, you can't put it back in. But it's a form of betrayal. Little innuendos that destroy relationships, creates doubt where faith should be operative. So how are you and I going to live in this world with deceit and betrayal all around us? Are we going to hate people and criticize them for what they do to us? Hope not. Are we going to cry when we're betrayed and wronged? Hope not. Give it to the Lord. We need, every one of us, start trusting the Lord. We sort of do it in broad strokes as we read these various passages. No, we've got to do it in the nitty-gritty, moment by moment. It's one thing my wife taught me. Faith isn't the, the big step going down the sawdust trail to, you know, make a commitment to Christ. That's, I'm not disparaging that, but that's not what I'm speaking about. It's moment by moment, taking every thought captive. I read it in the scripture, but I watched it work in my wife. Moment by moment. Moment by moment. That's our way out. I, uh, I find it hard to talk about this area because I spent 30 years in the corporate boardrooms. I've served, as, served on 12 public boards, a lot of boards, but 12 public boards of directors. I was chairman and CEO of six public companies. And uh, it's very strange because in the corporate public boardroom world, I found it to be a very ethical place. Not, I'm not saying moral, but ethical place. My word is my bond. I was spoiled rotten because the quality of people I had the privilege of trafficking with were incredible. But I, as in the last, that was 30 years, the last 15 years in full-time full -time Christian ministry, I'm astonished. I started to make a little list. I didn't want to put in my notes here. I made a list of the times we've been betrayed where people were funded to move up here and assume an officership in a ministry. And all the while having an ulterior motive, incorporating themselves without our knowledge to start a ministry with, while we were funding them, they were bootstrapping their own little venture. Um, this is, in the corporate world, this is called breach of fiduciary duty. This is called diversion of corporate opportunity. Those are criminal offenses. Or certainly torts in any case. And, and so often this is just um, uh, poor teaching, poor instruction. Many, many people that are in the ministry are, are not profoundly well taught in terms of officer responsibilities, those kinds of things, in corporations, that sort of thing. So I don't want to be too hard. And yet at the same time, uh, it's, born of, it's a born of larceny, a form of cheating. Um, when I was in the corporate boardrooms, only on one occasion in 30 years out of 12 boards can I recall uh, a situation where we had to remove a director for an undisclosed conflict of interest. And it was a technicality kind of thing, really. In the Christian community, in just 15 years, we've done it three times. I mean, that's just my, little, my own little sample, which is disturbing. Some of that's due to poor training. People uh, doing... Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with a conflict of interest... The error is an undisclosed conflict of interest. Often a situation occurs where there's something that's appropriate to have happen, but you disclose it to the board so they know what's going on, and so everybody's on the same sheet of music. You know? And um, so 
it's a, it's a, it's a, we have a little briefing pack called a, Being Faithful in a Faithless World, where I, 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 I charge off on this whole business of uh, what the word fiduciary really means. You realize, see, from, from uh, Paul's epistle to Romans, uh, see, in the secular world, if you're an hourly employee, you owe your boss 60 minutes for every hour paid. That's, and that's it. At 5 o'clock, you can go home, and that's it. That's your, your responsibilities are done. If you're an officer, a manager, an officer of a corporation, you are not a... Well, in a corporation, if you're an officer or a manager, you are a fiduciary of the corporation, which means you are bound by the law to protect their internal secrets, to protect their customer lists, their trade secrets. There's a whole list of things that are their proprietary property that you are uh, 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 committed to protect. That's what the word fiduciary means, putting somebody else's needs ahead of your own. That's what doctor-patient doctor is a fiduciary relationship, doctor-attorney-client. Uh, uh, those. Well, it's interesting that in the secular world, if you're just an employee of a company, not an officer, you don't owe them a fiduciary interest unless you're a Christian. Paul says, in effect, that if you, you owe your employer a fiduciary interest, that's really what he's... It's not clear when you read it in the English translation because it's talking about master-slaves, but that's just the economy in those days. The main point is, we are, if we are Christians, we owe our boss, even though we're just an employee, a janitor, we, are, we owe him a fiduciary duty. And that comes as a shock to many Christians. They've never been taught that because most pastors don't know. How can a pastor teach what he doesn't know? So there's issues. So we deal with all that in the thing. But this whole issue of ethical conduct, you know, it's interesting. Morality is a bigger issue. But even just basic ethics, it shocks me to realize how, how poorly we do in our cultural context, how poorly we train. That's one of the things we're going to try to repair in, the, in our institute. We have Coin Institute, we've got student body growing around the world, and it's all, help, it's all self-help, all volunteer kind of thing. But uh, you can take all our courses for degree credit and all that. But part of what we're trying to do in that culture is to create oversight and fiduciary relationships among them and try to get some of those ideas across. But uh, it's time for all of us to start trusting the Lord and recognize every day. It may be an issue of faith. It may be an issue of injury by somebody else. But those are always, do we really trust God? Do we really trust God? And so we've talked about the devotional prayer. The past, David's predicament motives. We had an example of that tonight. Uh, how this impacts Israel today. Certainly it's preparing them. There should be preparing them for the, the coming onslaught. How does it impact every one of us when we are betrayed? And, of course, the Messianic dispensation considered aspects we've dealt with. But having done all of this, having gone through all these little byroads, let's erase the blackboard and just remind ourselves what it's really all about. Chewing the cud. An animal to be sacrificed, to be a clean animal, was one that was defined chewing the cud. And that was a deliberate model, I believe, because that's what we are to do. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, Jeremiah says, and also John says. The key to clean sacrifices, chewing the cud. Do we chew the cud? Don't just read the psalm over. Immerse in it for a while. Try to, 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 to exude its real meaning. Don't get trapped in analysis paralysis. I've tried not to overdo the categorizations and the expositional notes and stuff. That can be disruptive. That can blindfold you to the real essence of the message of the psalm. We're looking for prayerful absorption not intellectual dissection. There's a place for intellectual dissection, but I don't think the Psalms is normally the place for that. It should be simply a gateway 
to his presence. And it's interesting that people who really study their Bibles almost invariably grow into a mode where their private, most precious part of the Scripture is not the book of Revelation or the prophecies of Daniel or all of that, or even the Gospels necessarily. Not that they disparage any of that. Don't misunderstand me. But the precious time is as they immerse in the Psalms. And as those Psalms get repetitive enough, you'll have your favorites. And uh, I was told, I, when I was leaving for the Naval Academy, I was just a young high school guy, I got the Academy appointment, and my, and my, I was just saying goodbye to my pastor before I headed off to Annapolis, and he gave me a little treasure. So we sat there in the car, saying goodbye. He said, he opened up his Bible, says, remember Psalm 91. And whenever you're down, and that became a precious, precious psalm. Nan and I carry it with us on our keychain, don't we? I think, yeah. So, psalm 91. So you'll have your own. Next session, meditate on the Mechtam Psalms. There are five psalms. They're a little group, totally different kind of thing. We'll explore that in our next session. Psalm 56 through 60 for the next session. A Mechtam is that which is substantial or enduring or fixed. It literally means engraven or permanent. So it pictures that which is unmovable, steadfast, stable, enduring. Very big contrast compared to our world today, isn't it? So with that, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Father, again, we just come before you throne with gratitude. Thankful, Father, for who you are. Thankful that you've gone to such extremes on our behalf. We thank you for this, these treasures we find in your word. We pray, Father, that you would just open them to our lives, that through your Holy Spirit you would illuminate that path before us, that we might be more responsive to your will in our lives and more pleasing in thy sight, as we do indeed commit ourselves into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music